All right, good to see you. Take a seat. And I'm going to give you the answer to my, that question earlier. Why are you here? Why are you here? Well, it's a beautiful day, so that's reason enough. My, what I shared is that I have come to realize that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he has risen from the dead, that he is who he claims to be, that the words, the story preserved for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then extending out all through Scripture is true, is reality. It's strange for sure, but it is true. Jesus is active in my own life. That started when I was about 23, at least to my recognition. He was probably working earlier. Um, but I know that Jesus is active not only in this, this place here, not only in this country, but all over the world. I know many stories here. Jesus is active in the world, calling people into relationship with the living God, moving people from separation from God to un unity with God. You have many nations represented here. It's, it's, it's what unites people truly and eternally. Jesus' risen power and spirit. We have people from Nicaragua. We have people from Taiwan. Here, we have people from the Philippines. Here, we have people from England. Here, we have people from Mexico. Here, Nicaragua, did I say that already? We have people from Russia. Here, we have people from the Ukraine. Amen? Here. Amen. He is the uniter. In him, heaven and earth are being united. He's tying this world, this broken world, back together again. He's active. Today's Easter Sunday. Um, it's, it's when his resurrection power breaks out. It's the beginning of the new creation. People being brought to him. Now, Easter Sunday is the final day of an eventful week, sometimes called Holy Week. Sunday, and it's all happening during the Passover festival. All right, this is, this is all rooted in Judaism. And Palm Sunday, people were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. People were coming from all the surrounding regions to this one great feast, one of the three great feasts, to remember God rescuing them from slavery to Egypt and making them his people. So that was on Palm Sunday. People who were there at the city gates were welcoming Jesus as the king. Crowds were there. Not the, whole, the whole city wasn't welcoming him as king, but there were great crowds welcoming him as king. Then Monday, he goes into the temple and he pronounces judgment against it. He says, it has become a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, but it's become corrupt. That old system is going to become obsolete. The once-for-all sacrifice had come. He declares that on Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday, Jesus completes his final public teaching. His popularity is increasing at the same time. The opposition is intensifying, and it's going to reach an apex. And that happens Thursday evening. Passover. So Thursday evening is the beginning of Friday for the Jews. And on that Passover day, during that Last Supper, Jesus establishes a new covenant based on his sacrifice for you and me. He reveals that he is the Passover lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's Thursday evening. He goes from there 
and into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray because he knows what's going to come. And then it hits. Thursday night, late Thursday night, Jesus is arrested. Jesus is brought before the religious leaders. They interrogate Jesus. They bring false accusations against him. They bring up some witnesses, but the, the testimony doesn't agree. It's kind of a sham. Things are getting heated. They weren't getting it very far. And then we pick it up at Mark chapter 14, verse 60. We read this. Then the high priest, the, the leader of the religious leaders, stood up before them, the other religious leaders who had gathered, and asked Jesus straight up, are you not going to answer the question, what is this testimony that people are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent in the face of these false accusations. But then, again, the high priest asked him, here's the question, are you the Messiah? Are you the king? Are you the promised one? Are you the one sent by God? Are you the son of the blessed one, the son of God? That's the question, right? Who is Jesus? There it is. Jesus responds, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, the Blessed One. I am the Promised One. And then Jesus continues. He says, and you, religious leaders there back then, you will see, you, me, all people actually, will see in the future, the day still future to us, on the day of the Lord, you will see the Son of Man, that's a messianic title for Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One of God, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus clearly declares that he is the promised one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed One. Now, if you're Jewish, that little phrase that Jesus used, that description of him coming on the clouds of heaven, it triggers a memory of Daniel, a prophecy that came 500 years about the Messiah. Let's look at it real quick. Daniel 7, 13, 14. In Daniel's vision, he's a prophet from God. In my vision from God at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. There's the messianic title, son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days, God most high, and was led into his presence. And he, the son of man, at that point was given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations, all ethnos, and peoples of every language worshipped him. It's a picture of the kingdom that I described that God is gathering in Jesus. Every language worshipped him. His dominion, his rule and reign is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. This kingdom that God is gathering together is eternal. It's lasting. Nations rise and fall. The Roman Empire is gone. But this kingdom still stands. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. And let's see the reaction. It's a divisive thing, right? Even in this world today. Verse 63, the high priest in response tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. 
Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Why this violent reaction to Jesus? Because of his claims. He claimed to be the Messiah, the, the son of the blessed one, God with them. And they rejected that claim. They rejected his word. They did not believe. And listen, there is no middle ground on this. Jesus doesn't give you or me any room to say, well, yeah, he's, you know, he's just a wise teacher. I kind of like what he said. I like this and that. No. He's either the Son of God, the Messiah, the risen Lord, or he is a blasphemer. And the religious leaders, what they're going to do here is the right thing. And what they did, which is bring him out to the Roman authority to have him crucified to have him killed, to get rid of him. That's what happens next. They bring him to Pontius Pilate. They demand that he authorize Jesus be crucified. And Pilate interrogates Jesus. All right, this is the Roman, non-Jew, Gentile authority. And he doesn't really think Jesus deserves death. But Jesus is disruptive. Jesus is stirring things up. He's a problem for Pontius Pilate who wants to just keep peace in this area of the world. That's his job. So Pilate hands him over to be killed. Again, not because he thinks he's guilty, but because Jesus is a problem for his life. He agrees to have him crucified. And this is a key truth for us as well today. Wes and Ann preached about this a few days back, it's just a few Sundays back. It's just stuck with me. This next film, your first film, is the presence of God. The presence of God. When God comes into your life, it is disruptive. It's disruptive. It's meant to bring you life, but it's also disruptive. It's dis disruptive because all of a sudden life is not the same as it was. When you let God into your life, he does a remodel. Our friends, the Stenzels, they redid their house completely. They stripped it down to the studs, and their life was disrupted. But now they have this beautiful house. It's part of the process. God will remove, tear down broken structures in your life when he is present in your life because he wants to help you build a lasting, solid, thriving life on the rock, on him, on his word, with his presence. The presence of God is disruptive back then and today. Jesus is disruptive, so they, they want to get rid of him. They move to get rid of him. They push him out. John 19, 16. Finally, Pilate handed him, Jesus, over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, Jesus went out to the place of the skull. It's this rock outcropping. It kind of looked like a skull. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This was a very public rejection of God. They stripped him down to his undergarment. He was beaten, bloodied, 
crown of thorns jammed down on his head. They nailed his hands and feet to the cross. And then they hoisted it up at a crossroads that everybody could see. All right, so they see Jesus bloodied, battered, dying on the cross. That's what you would see. That's what you would see on the surface on that day. What would that look like if you saw that? Just surface impressions. You see Jesus on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. What does it look like? It looks like defeat. It looks like the end. It looks like the religious leaders were right. Like if Jesus really is the Messiah, the King, the Promised One, the Son of Man, the Son of the Blessed One, what is he doing there, dying that humiliating, awful death? It was a horrible sight, yet... Yet, God is working at many layers here. In crucifying Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the religious leaders, and Pilate were unknowingly accomplishing something else. And Jesus was knowingly on that cross accomplishing something else. What's actually happening on that cross? Next fill-in is, on the cross, Jesus is fulfilling God's plan. And this plan was revealed beforehand so that you'd know it was the plan, and so that you'd know it was God in, in looking back. He revealed this through the prophets, hundreds of years before Jesus came. A few examples, Isaiah 53, 5, this was written in 7 111 B.C., 700 years before Jesus was on the cross. Listen to what it says about the Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crucified, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace, I'm sorry, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, all people, like sheep, have gone astray. We've gone far from God. Each of us has turned to our own way. We've tried to do life our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, the Messiah, poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Another prophecy to Daniel, 539 B.C. The Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Another one, Zechariah 520 B.C. They will look upon me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On the surface, it looks like defeat. In reality, God is fulfilling his plan to save you, to save me. Next fill in. We heard it in those prophecies. Jesus on the cross is being pierced for your transgressions, 
for your sins, for the things that you have done that displease God, that go against his word, that ruin his good creation, that break relationship with God and with others. Jesus is being pierced for your sins to heal you, to heal you, to heal you spiritually, to, to heal the breach that came because of our sin, the breach, the separation between you and God. That's why he came, to heal that. See, in the beginning, God created everyone to be physically alive and spiritually alive, united to God in his presence. But first humans sinned. They disobeyed God. They rebelled against him. They pushed him out of their presence. They rejected him. Sin separated us from God way back. Your sin separates you from God. Sin killed us spiritually. Cut the connection between us and God. Humans have been born, listen, physically alive, yes, but spiritually dead, separated from God. And you can't save yourself from that condition. You can't be good enough. You can't work up enough religious things to do it. You can't come to enough Easter services to make up for your sin, to bring yourself back to God. You can, however, receive the salvation that Jesus came and won for you on the cross. He was pierced for your transgressions. He is your substitute. He bore it in his body for you so that you could be healed. Not just a little healing, but an eternal healing so you could be brought back to God. That's what God's doing in the world. He's doing it here. He's done it in you. He's done it in many of us here. He's doing it all around the world. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. Healing us, reuniting us with God. Those who receive that salvation were born again spiritually. Spiritually born again, and you will be born again. You will be raised again like Jesus physically. Okay, again, Jesus on the cross. It looked like defeat. But Jesus was fulfilling God's plan. Jesus was saving you and me. And that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. They crucified Jesus on that day, Friday at 9 a.m. Then at noon, we read this, Mark 15. At noon, darkness came over the whole land like some clouds. I don't know. Darkness fell over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus died physically. The death for your sins, the replacement, the substitute. A Roman soldier pierced Jesus' body on the side with a spear to make sure he was dead. They needed to get the bodies down quickly because the Sabbath was about to start Friday, after, Friday evening. Um, so then with special permission from Pilate, uh, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, took his body down, Jesus' body down. They wrapped him. They put him in a new tomb nearby. He's in the tomb. The tomb was sealed. Friday ended. Saturday came. And Saturday ended. Then, on the third day, on Sunday, Easter Sunday, the first one. It's the first day of the Jewish week. Going back to Genesis 1, the first day of creation, something happened. 
John 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, very early, very, very early, all right, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw, she saw something. She saw that the stone that, that blocked the entrance to the tomb had been removed from the entrance. This is unexpected. This is strange. This is not what she expected to see. So she came running. She went running to Simon Peter, Peter and the other disciple, John, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where, we put, where they put him. So Mary was with another group of people there as well, another group of women. The tomb where Jesus' body was wrapped and laid was empty. That's strange. It's unexpected. Then more news trickled into the disciples who had scattered after Jesus, their leader, was arrested, trained, and crucified. Other news started to trickle into the disciples. Jesus appeared to the other women who had originally gone to the tomb with Mary. Matthew 28, 9 tells us they took hold of his feet when they saw him and worshipped him. Then, back to Mary Magdalene, after she told Peter and John that the tomb was empty, she went back to the tomb. She went back there, and while she was crying and grieving, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to her. At first, she didn't realize it was Jesus, but verse 15, he asked her, woman, for, thinking he was the gardener, this, this tomb was in a garden. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus says her name. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. So she's clasped on to him. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead, tell my brothers, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news I have seen the Lord. The first witness of the resurrection is Mary Magdalene. Which, listen, if you're going to make this stuff up, you're not going to do it this way. First century, a woman's testimony, it's the way it was, was not credible, considered credible. Jesus is masterful. He reveals himself to Mary Magdalene first. She's the first to proclaim he is risen. She's the first to say it. I've seen the Lord. Then in the afternoon, same Sunday, more appearances. Jesus appeared to Cleopas and then another disciple and another disciple as they were heading out of Jerusalem toward Emmaus. Then Peter, Jesus appeared to Peter. Then, because of this, disciples who started to hear this news when they had scattered, they started to come together. And then by Sunday evening, that first Easter, John 20, 19, we read this. On the evening of that first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Yeah, they're still worried. What are they going to do? They saw what they did to Jesus. What are they going to do to us? Jesus, while they were locked in this locked room, came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when they saw it, they were filled with joy. When they saw the Lord, they had last seen him just trashed and bloodied. And there he is restored with them. He retains the nail marks. 
so we know, so we remember. Someday you will see those nail marks. Jesus is here. They're overjoyed. Just like Jesus said he would, he's back. Just like the prophecy said he would rise, he has risen. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, he's back. But he, Thomas, said to them, listen, unless I see Lest I see him myself, the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is like some of you, right? You show me hard evidence or forget it. And think about Thomas. I mean, he, he's, he's been following Jesus. He saw the amazing things Jesus did and said. He saw Jesus on the cross. He was crushed. He was, he's protected himself at this point. He's like, I cannot believe it. I Verse 26, a week later, so the following Sunday, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And Jesus said to Thomas and to you and me today, stop doubting and believe. Trust. Thomas said to him, my Lord, and my God. Thomas sees. He sees clearly. He sees Jesus risen. He sees that Jesus is Lord and God. And then, way back then, Jesus told Thomas something about you and me today. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Blessed are you, brothers and sisters, because you've believed. God's enabled you to believe. He's helped you believe, and you believe. It changes everything. Jesus died and rose from the dead just like he said he would. Jesus died and rose from the dead like God said beforehand through the prophets, and Jesus is here with us now. By the presence of his spirit. He's still here. Why don't we stand and let's, let's pray. Let's, let's draw close to him. He has come close to us. Let's stand and... Jesus is saying a few things this morning, I think. First things from Revelation 3.20, Jesus is saying, Hear, hear your life, your heart, and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens that door, I will come in and eat with that person, and you with me. He, will, he is calling you into fellowship. He won't push the door down. 
You need to open it up. That's your choice. Today, the risen Lord Jesus, with us by the Spirit, is also saying, like he said to the disciples back then, peace be with you. Peace, shalom, wholeness, wholeness of relationship with God. Be with you. Jesus wants to bestow his peace upon you. Jesus came, died, rose again to put you at peace with God. If you want that this morning, and I just encourage everybody else who already is in this already to repeat this prayer with me. Let's do it out loud. Just practice it, rehearse it, remember it. This is how you can come to peace with God. Mighty God, you know all my sins. I am sorry for my sins. And I want your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough to pay the punishment on the cross that I deserve for my sins. Come into my life, Jesus, as my Lord and King. I turn away from my sin now to follow you into fullness of life. Peace be with you, Jesus says. Peace be with you. For those who are in Jesus, united to God, at peace with God, Jesus is also saying, beloved child of God, that's who you are now, I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you now. I'm with you tomorrow. I'm with you in that meeting. I'm with you in that conflict. I'm with you wherever you go. I am present. Be with me. Be with me. Call on me. Draw close to me. Seek my guidance. Talk to me. I'm there to guide you, to bless you, to strengthen you, to help you through it. I'm not going to change all your circumstances, but I am with you in it to lead you in the way that will lead to life. Be with me. I am with you. Next thing Jesus is saying, listen to me, trust and obey me, and you will bear good lasting fruit in your life. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, he says. Nothing lasting, nothing significant. Follow me, remain in me, and you will bear good lasting fruit. And I think one more word today. Jesus is saying, I have prepared a place for you. This short life, with all of its ups and downs, is not the end. If you've been born again, you are part of God's new creation, and he has gone before us to prepare a place for us. Whatever is happening to your body or happens to you, rest assured, I have prepared a place for you, Jesus says. And I will take you to be with me so that you can... Thank you for speaking to us this morning. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your great sacrifice for us. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Lord, give us ears to hear as you as we go out from here, Lord God. Help us be with you as you are with us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And if you want prayer, you just want to come alongside somebody and get some prayer. You don't even have to know what it's for, but just we're going to have some prayer people up here for you during this last song, and they are happy to pray for you. Come on up during this last song.